Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. So let's go ahead and pray and we will look into Job chapter 21. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for guiding and directing and all that you're doing. Thank you for service yesterday, all the people you brought, the great celebration, the worship, Mike and Carly, what a blessing to have them doing worship for us. And thank you for that. Thank you for blessing them in their, in their time here. Continue to bless their whole family. And God, now bless us as we read in depth into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I think we're ready. It must be sounding pretty good because I'm not getting any um, emergency texts about some noise going on. So let's go ahead and look into Job chapter 21. Then Job said, Listen carefully to my speech, and let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. Then after I have spoken, you may mock. As for me, is my complaint to man to man? And why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am disturbed. The horror takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and the rod of God is not on them. His ox mates mates without fail, his cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like like the flock and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and the harp and they rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Or does the calamity fall on them? Does God apportion destruction in his anger? Are they as straw before the wind, and like chaff which the storm carries away? You say God stores away a man's iniquity for his sons. Let God repay him so that he may know it. Let his own eyes see his decay, and let him drink the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care for his household after him when the number of his months is cut off? Can anyone teach God knowledge and that he judges those on high or dies in the in full strength, being wholly at ease and satisfied? His sides are filled out with fat and his marrow, the marrow of his bones or the marrow of his bones is moist. While another dies with a bitter soul, never even tasting anything good. Together they lie down in the dust and worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and the plans by which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the nobleman? 
And where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you not asked, wayfaring men? Do you not recognize their witness? For the wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. Who will confront him with his actions? And who will repay him for what he has done? While he is carried to the grave, men will keep watch over his tomb. Verse 33, the clods of the valley will gently cover him. Moreover, all men will follow after him while countless ones go before him. Now then you vainly comfort me, for your answers remain full of falsehood. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite responded, Can a vigorous man be of use to God, or a wise man be useful to himself? Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous, or profit if you make your ways perfect? Is it because you are, because of your reverence that he reproves you, that he enters into judgment against you? Is it not your wicked, your wicked great, is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end? For you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause and stripped men naked. To the weary you have given no water to drink, and from the hungry you have withheld bread. But the earth belongs to the mighty man. And the honorable man dwells in it. Have you set windows away empty? Have you sent windows away empty in the strength of the orphans, or probably widows, have been crushed? I'm sorry about that. Therefore, snares surround you, and sudden dread terrifies you. O oh, darkness, so that you cannot see, and the abundance of water covers you. Is not God in the height of heaven? Look also at the distant stars, how high they are. And you say, what does God know? Can he judge thought through the thick darkness? Clouds are a hiding place for him so that he cannot see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the ancient path the wicked men have trod, who have snatched away before their time, or who are snatched away, or were, whose foundations were washed away by a river? They say to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things by the counsel of the wicked. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see and are glad, and the innocent mock them, saying, truly, your adversaries are cut off. And their abundance and fire are con has consumed, the fire has consumed. Yet now, yield now and be at peace with him, thereby good will come to you. Please receive instruction from my mouth and establish his word in your heart. 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. And if you remove unrighteousness far from your tent, the place your gold and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Orphir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. For then you will delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray to him, and he will hear you, and you will pray, pay your vows. You also will decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. Then you are cast down, and you speak with confidence, and the humble person he will save. He will deliver one who is not innocent, and he 
will be delivered through the clean, clean, cleanness of your hand. Chapter 23. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is rebellion. My hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, by, but he is not there, and backward, and I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique, and who can trust him? And what his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me. And many such decrees are with him. Therefore, I would be dismayed at his presence when I consider I, I am terrified of him. It is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dismayed me. But I am not silenced by the darkness nor deep gloom which covers me. Well, you see, the heart of Job is quite quite amazing here is what he's saying first he you know he says please listen to my case and, and he wants his they're winding down their arguments here Job's saying that I know that I'm right I haven't done anything wrong and his friends only saying no it's obvious by the evidence that you're guilty and you're worthless and you're uh, you are a sinner and he's trying to say again he keeps going back to this point look God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and, and he operates what he wants to do. He does what he wants to do, and if I could have a court case with him, I would want to, but who? what good would it do? Because he's God. I would go and approach him, and then, you know, he tries to, he laments in one sense in the first chapter 21, everything that's happening. Look at me, look at my body covered with these sores. And, and when I think about what's happening and what's happened with his family and the death of everything and his kids and everything he lost, he can barely handle it. It's overwhelming. And he wants to kind of give up, acknowledge that, that God's won whatever he was doing and, and uh, you know, <laughs> go down to Sheol. And, but his friends make the case again that you he still says, but I really haven't done anything wrong. And his friends are trying very hard to, in their own wisdom to say, no, we understand what righteousness is and everybody is, who is wicked will be, will be judged. And you were, you were one of the rich guys. It's funny how Job talks about the rich and how they get away with everything. And yet he was one of the richest men. But he's talking about the wicked rich, not the righteous rich. rich. Really, but he's talking about the 
rich, unrighteous person, how he seems to get away with everything. And he was the righteous rich person that was chastised by God in his mind and, uh, and suffered. And he was talking about the unfairness of God. He doesn't understand it. And they're trying to say, well, it does make sense because you, God does what is right all the time. And you sin and you blew it. And now God's judging you. And then he comes back and says, no, but I know I haven't blown it. I know that I've walked upright with God. I've been more righteous than most people. So this is where the uh, argument is going to end up. And this is right before, I think, I haven't read ahead, but pretty quick here, God's going to intervene. And pretty soon he's going to intervene and, and put an end to all this argument and, and set things straight and let them know what he thinks about their, their conversation. All right, we're going to move into Matthew now. Matthew chapter 2. See if we can get this going. Oh, the visit of the Magi. So we're doing this in chronological order, so we're going to be reading the, the Gospels, kind of the story over and over, because we've got four Gospels to go through. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went away. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the, the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, when they had gone, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while he was, while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod, and this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, then when Herod saw that he was tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged, and he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. The voice was heard in Ramah, or a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted. 
because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilleus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the reasons of the Galilee. And he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken to the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So there you have the Christmas story. And the miraculous guiding of God of the Magi who came from the east that we think were descendants of the Magi who were trained by Daniel, most likely, who told them of the coming King of Kings and the star. And they followed the star. They would have seen it up to two years before the birth of Christ. Or I'm sorry, at least, yeah, they would have seen it two years at the, um at the birth of Christ, I guess. It took them a long time to, to um, once they first saw the star, probably in the constellation we talked about on Christmas. Uh, very interesting uh, astrological signs that they can prove that were in the sky at the time of Christ's birth. There was an, an alignment of stars on uh, around Virga, I think the... the um, the the woman where Jupiter is in her womb and the dragon's at her feet and there's a crown of twelve stars and it's very very fascinating study and uh, there they um, the planet is in um, retrograde where it goes forward and then comes back and goes forward again from I mean our perspective it does it's just because our planet is a closer in a closer orbit to the sun, and so it's passing by Jupiter. It makes it, Jupiter look like it's going backwards. But anyway, the the point by which that movement of that star um, aligns itself within the constellation of, I want to say Virgo, I forget all my constellations, but if that's the one with the woman, um appearing to give birth, there's only, I found out from Michael Heiser and his research and some of these other guys, that was, there was only a 90-minute window, and that only happened on September 11th, 3 BC. And a 90-minute window, can you believe that? That's very specific, and they believe that was the exact time of the birth of Christ. They could probably even tell you what time in, in the daytime or nighttime that it was. I don't remember they gave a time, but um, the Magi are then announced the heavens, the glory of God, it's the stars, announce the birth of Christ through the constellations. They then see a star seemingly in the constellation, some people feel, um, that is heading and guiding or, or at least directing them towards Jerusalem. Other people think it was a supernatural glory of God, star much lower, very low in our horizon or, or in our atmosphere. And they 
they follow it across the desert, which took months and months and months and months. Somebody was mentioning to me the other day, it was like be going one from one side of the United States to another. I haven't done the calculations. I don't know, but it was a long way. Um, and so they, it takes them a long time to get there. Then they finally get there, and Herod wants to know, how long ago did this star appear? He's trying to figure out how old the baby would be. And so when they don't come back, he goes, well, seemingly it's been up to, to about two years since that star appeared. Let's kill all the babies two years old and younger. So that's what he does, but God protects Jesus as he goes down to Egypt and to fulfill all of these interesting prophecies. Why stop at Jerusalem? Why didn't God take them directly to Bethlehem? We'll know when we're in heaven, but we do know that the David is was the king of kings. David, the, the throne of the king of Israel was in Jerusalem. And so it was as if the kings, or I should, sorry, the magi, they weren't really kings, coming in Jerusalem are announcing the arrival of the king of the world because they're not Israelites. They're from another, they're from the, they represent the world, the Gentile world. They represent all the kingdoms. And in a sense, all the kingdoms were coming in to celebrate um, the king that had been born. another nicer backdrop there so there we have the story of um, the birth of Christ and we're going to see how God continued to guide and direct him so that the entire world might come to know him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords so let's move now into I'm going to say Oswald Chambers one of these days but we're in Spurgeon and I remember that so we're looking into Spurgeon's devotion this morning. Divine recompense. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 11, 25. If I carefully consider, consider others, God will consider me. And in some way or other, he will recompense me. Let me consider the poor, and the Lord will consider me. Let me look after little children, and the Lord will treat me as his child. Let me feed his flock, and he will feed me. Let me water his garden, and he will make a watered garden for my soul. This is the Lord's own promise. Be it mine to fulfill the condition, and then to expect its fulfillment. I may care about myself till I grow morbid. I may watch over my own feelings till I feel nothing, and I may lament my own weakness till I grow almost too weak to lament. It will be far more profitable to me, for me, to become unselfish and out of love, for my Lord Jesus begin to care for the souls of those around me. My tank is getting very low. No fresh rain comes to fill it. What shall I dot? I will pull up and plug and let its contents run out to water and withering plants around me. What do I see? My cistern seems to fill as it flows. A secret spring is at work. While I was stagnant, the fresh spring was sealed. But as my straw, I'm sorry, as my stock rose out the water, others 
the Lord thinketh upon me. Hallelujah. But as my stock rose out of water, others, the Lord thinketh upon me. I'm a little out of touch with my old King James English. But as for my stock rose out to water, others, the Lord thinketh upon me. Kind of get it, but not really. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I need to find him in modern English so I can understand. You guys might get it fine, but that one, it's a little cloudy on my thinking. Well, obviously, we do understand that if we can, we pour into the life of others, the word of God, pour into them the love that God has for them, God pours back double measure many times. He pours back into our hearts. He he fills us with joy, and he takes care of us. And this is the life of the believer, to walk the walk of faith and to trust God. Know that he will provide. And it's, it's a challenge when you're down to very, very low means and you don't know if you can pay the rent. But it's been a blessing to see people, so many wonderful examples that God has brought into my life of people that have given just willingly, not selfishly, so full of love, so happy to to be used to help other people and bless other people. There's, there's nothing like it, being able to see so many people get used by God in such a wonderful way and then see God take care of them and, and meet their needs. That's one of the joys of being in the family, of being in in a body of believers, that's walking with the Lord. Well, let's pray and thank God for, for this day and ask him to guide us and direct us um, for all the things going on. Father, thank you for today. And we do come before you and ask that you would guide us and direct us, that your hand would be upon us, that we would be in all ways seeking you, but at the same time not introvert in an introverted way not in a selfish way but in just being as your servant and longing to be able to be used by you to see you use us to fill the emptiness in others lives with your love help us god flow out of us your your love and your spirit and flow into the lives of other people and let that just be something that is a daily process for us, that we don't even know it's happening, that is natural because we have you in us and we're not bottling you up or holding on to you selfishly. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for caring about us, never giving up on us. Such a wonderful thing to see. And what we learned yesterday for disciplining us. When we know that we need it, we know that we get off course and we do crazy dumb things. We need you to come in and remind us who we are, that we're blood-bought. You're our Father. And we don't act that way because we're, we're in your family. We're not in the world. And you want us, you want us to be blessed and want us to, to be filled to overflowing. And so because of your concern for us and goodness, you do bring in correction, discipline, Sometimes it's taking things away from us. Sometimes it's, it's just going to cause a type of suffering that we have never gone through. 
so that we might get to the point where we have yielded over to you full authority in our life. Thank you for that. Thank you for the things that you have done and are continuing to do with us in this. So we do want to lift up our brothers and sisters dealing with a lot of heartache during this time when they've lost some of their loved ones, no matter what the condition or the infirmity. We want to lift them up and ask that you give them comfort as we go into this new year for strength and help them wake up and get through another day and realize you're the God of their sorrow and their pain as well, that you're there, they're not alone. Help them be so mindful of that and understand, feel it in a way like they've never felt it before. And touch my brothers and sisters that are dealing with the cancer, that are still in the midst of their treatments. Be a comfort to them. And also when they're in the treatment centers, wherever they may be, open up conversations. Open up wonderful conversations so that they can be a light to those that are that are scared, that have, do not have you in their hearts, that don't know you, and know that their bodies are not... Again, this, the state of their bodies is no guarantee that they're going to live for any length of time. So God, use them in a powerful way, even with the doctors and nurses. And Father, use the evangelism team here and the people in other churches where they're reaching out. Thank you for the ongoing outreach there. And in the colonias, we've seen new people get saved recently. It's been a blessing. New people come to church. Just God, continue to minister, lift them up, bring them into the depth of your word. This is a very critical time in our history of our nation. People be able to distinguish right from wrong, be able to distinguish what is of you and what is of the enemy. So thank you, God. Thank you for bringing clarity to people's mind. Thank you that you're in the Muslim world, giving people's dreams and visions, and they're coming to know you and record numbers, things we don't hear about because the world doesn't want it. <laughs> they don't want us to know about it. They don't want to admit it's happening. But we know it is. So we thank you for it. We praise you for it. And know that you are doing marvelous things right now. We pray for the pastors in Canada with this huge, huge bill coming up and this battle uh, against biblical morality that is going to be raging. God, may you please, to the, to the Canadian church, the United States church, and the Mexican church, and the entire West, help us be unified and make a stand. Guide us, God, and may you strike down this bill that is being proposed in Canada. So thank you, Father. We praise you for this morning, and we give you all thanks and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.